and look at principles that the book touches upon, but also themes that run throughout scripture. And so it seems fitting that our first topic would be loving your neighbor, embedded between Katie inviting us to shift out of this tendency to go they, them, and instead go me, us. And that posture as I look at me, that it's a humble surrender. And as I look at us, it's an open arms to listen and hear and discover the stories behind the categories that we tend to put people in and the divides that appear to be there. And then next week, we'll be looking at brokenness in relationships, in marriage relationships, and how when you put a sinner with a sinner, we tend to hurt each other bad and frequently. And what in the world does it look like to be a neighbor as we're walking through that ourselves and as we're trying to walk with one another through messy relationships? So I'm Laura Frederick. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I have um, three kiddos. I've been married forever. I don't know. Um, and I have three kids, uh, almost 15, just turned 12, and just turned 11. And uh, my 12-year-old acts like he's 16. My 11-year-old is quickly chasing behind, so I am full into parenting in the teen years, which is a lot of what in the world am I? What in the world am I doing? And it's a lot of trying to love other kiddos in different ways, in new ways. So let's start with the concept of loving our neighbor. The first thing to think about is who is my neighbor and why is this blank? That is strange. Um, well, let me walk you through <laughs> what this chart would show. So when we look at the life of Christ, we see him extending loving care to a wide variety of people. So the first category, so this is a handy little chart, and you guys do have a note page in your workbook if you like to um, jot things down. So the first category is his disciples. But what we see with disciples is Christ was really good at boundaries. Um, even with that term disciples, you had a large population of people who sat at his feet for teaching, and then you had circles, right? He brought people in to different degrees closer and closer to him. So the first thing that we think about in terms of loving our neighbor as we're looking at examples from Christ is um, that we're practicing various postures within different populations, that one of the ways to show love is to live an authentic life. People are drawn to us when they know we're human. If we look happy all the time, that's annoying, right? Um, so we never want to come across as the Happy Smilers Club and that you have to do that to be at church. But you're also going to measure the degree to which you're sharing and revealing the harder parts depending upon where people fall in those circles, right? 
The next group, well, the next person that I like to think of um, when looking at examples from Christ is Peter. And I love Peter because I really relate to Peter. Peter's messy. So the second category is those people in our lives, those friends who are kind of messy, right? What we see with Peter and what's so normalizing for me is Peter was all passion. And so with that, he was often hard for heart first and then head followed. I think we see this a lot with our kids, right? It's just like unfiltered, pure, you know, let's do this. And so with that, you have beauty and you have messy. We have examples of Peter just courageously stepping out in faith. We have examples of Peter leading and changing lives and building and shaping, but we also have examples of Peter after the fact going, oh, I, I could have handled that differently. I could have said something different. And when we're thinking about loving our neighbors, so often we look back on a conversation and go, wow, why, why didn't I share more freely? Why wasn't I more open about the kind of comfort that Christ can provide? Why didn't I jump in with a God story? And so I love looking at Peter and going, oh, that's okay. It's okay. He works with us through our mishaps. He works with us through our tongue-tied moments. Um, and, and he loves us in both spaces. The next person that we want to think about is Nicodemus. Nicodemus represents people who seem to have it all. Nicodemus re represents many of the people that we're doing neighbor life with in our cute little suburb communities. Um, people who are good people, who are relatively moral people, maybe even religious people. Nicodemus was a religious leader, but he didn't know Christ. He um, seemed to have it all together, but yet there was a longing, a yearning inside. Nicodemus reminds me of a recent conversation I had with a neighbor who said she thought she knew God and she was the kind of person that no one thought she needed help. She said it would have been maybe easier if she had had a really clear, like say addiction problem because then people would know oh, you need some kind of intervention. They would have asked her different kinds of questions. And she said it wasn't until the rug was pulled out from under her happy, put-together life that she really found God and, and now knows him in a deep, personal way. We also think about the Samaritan woman. I love with the Samaritan woman, I'm a bridge builder by nature, and, um, and so I love examples where you see God was doing this way before it was popular. He was in the business of going, oh, mankind, you've put up these various barriers to, you know, what? Whatever your personal motivator is. But guess what? I'm in the business of crossing barriers. So your social barrier, your social class, barrier, your racial barrier, your gender barrier, 
your uh, moral barrier, I'm going to go out of my way to cross that. So Jesus sends way too many men to go get lunch so that he can have a private conversation with a woman that a rabbi was never supposed to give the time of day to. We also think about the leper. The leper represents people who think or have been told that their story is over. We're surrounded by people like that. They think that they are stuck. They think that their story has ended, that it's not in the cards for them. Whatever that looks like, because keep in mind, when we're thinking about our neighbors, that might, the leper might be someone who is like Nicodemus and seems to have it all, but they can't deny that there is this longing, that there is this question of, is this really all there is in life? And then the last one we want to think about is James. I love James because he represents anyone, and we all have one to five in our minds, anyone who we have decided there's no hope for them. Salvation is not an option. They are never going to come to the end of themselves and in that place meet Christ. That's it. So James reminds us, don't lose hope. So the next thing we want to think about when it comes to loving our neighbor, and this is something that we've talked about before, we want to practice our posture. Feet firmly planted on the rock of Christ. We can't do it out of our own strength. We're all tired. We're all too busy. We're heading into the holidays. By golly, don't ask me to do one more thing. Right? So my feet are firmly planted on the rock of Christ. The other reason that that posture is important, that it starts with our feet, is because that anchors us into the truth of who he is and who we are. And that's important because when I'm anchored into the truth of who he says I am, I'm less rattled by other voices. I'm less rattled by uncomfortable experiences, by hurts, by awkwardness. I'm, I'm grounded in who he says I am. That allows me to open up my arms. When I'm remembering who he is, I'm practicing a posture of trust. All of a sudden, the fact that I can't see 10 steps forward, sure, it might be frustrating. And I might tell him on occasion, God, come on, give me a break. Can you give me a hint of what's around this next corner? But I remember his times of faithfulness. I remember that he is a good dad. So whatever's around that next corner is not something that would taunt me, is not something that would manipulate me or play with my mind or put me out just to make a fool of me. Also, when my arms are wide open, it's a... Um, it's a place of 
surrender. And I'm only able to do that when my sustenance is drawn from where my feet are planted. Because we are also addicted to control. I want to see what's after this next step so that I can plan it out, work it out, make everything, you know, happy, keep everyone from pain, like get it all together, make sure we have the dollars to cover it, you know, all those various, right? And then the last thing is that we must always try to keep our chin up. Now, this can be chin up because I'm in a place of celebration. And so it is a normal part of that posture that when I'm in a place of celebration and excitement, my head's naturally going to be lifted up. But this is also chin up in a posture of trust when there's some kind of hard or heavy or uncomfortable there. I'm keeping my head up even in that space, even when I'm tempted to close in and shut down because I am remembering that I've tried all the other ways to have my needs met, to get recharged, to get refreshed, to correct perspective, to find truth. And I'm remembering that the only option that actually works is when my vision is filled with him. When it comes to loving our neighbors, we must remember that hurt people hurt people. Shauna Pilgreen and her family moved from the Midwest to plant a church in San Francisco. Talk about culture shock. <laughs> they have now been there for about 10 years. It's Epic Church, if you want to look them up. And she tells this story about broken glass. She and her kids, they were fairly young at the time, were delivering a meal to someone in the church. They were doing a good deed. They took maybe an hour. They came back out to their car, the first brand new car that they had had, a minivan, I think. And uh, the window had been shattered, and the backpacks were taken. Little kids' backpacks, probably nothing really of value there. And at first, she went through the normal range of emotions that any of us would experience. I think her husband was out of town at the time because, you know, they usually are when something <laughs> bad happens. And so, you know, frustration, anger, sadness. And she said it took her, like she sat in that for a little while, which I like the honesty in that. Because again, remember, we're not Happy Smilers Club. So to get to the place of a smile, you often have to go through some hard or messy. As she was cleaning up the inside of the car the next day, sweeping up the broken glass that was still in there, she decided to put it in a jar. And she still has it in her house. And what the glass reminded her of was this world that they had felt called to enter into, this city where crime is so common that all of the commuters, all of the people who are walking by on the sidewalk, never thought it was odd that someone was breaking a window. And it reminded her that they've been called to love all of their neighbors 
including whoever felt desperate enough to break a window and steal little kids' backpacks. She says, as I look at the jar of broken glass and see the enemy's tactics contained, I see them suffocated from ever having power over me because, you see, when, when we as followers of Christ step out in boldness to love our neighbors in sacrificial, humble ways, the enemy is going to be all over that. He is looking to shut that down. He wants us to be known as cold, self-righteous, judgmental. So he's going to be all over any attempts to walk in humility and service. And so when she looks at that broken glass, she says, you have no power over me. You are not going to shut me down. You are not going to uh, shut me down because of fear. You're not going to shut me down because of discomfort or anger or shifting back into that place of they and them, pointing my finger at whoever broke that glass going, well, that's those people. She said, it reminds me of Joseph's life. Remember, Joseph was a boy of privilege, a boy who maybe had a little too much ego and arrogance, but don't we all step into that? And a boy whose life was dramatically altered. And he entered a period of years where time and again, it seemed like whenever things were finally going to come together, a, a boy who had years of doing the right things. He had moved past the ego and the arrogance, and now he was just looking to do the right things. And time after time, life just took a crazy turn. But when he came out on the other side, he was able to look back on the events and go, oh, now I get it. The things that the enemy meant to shut me down, to shut my people down, to shut my family down. God had a different plan. God used those things for good. So when it comes to loving our neighbors, it's important to practice our posture. It's also important to frame our focus. Tell me some things. What is the good news? What else? We're free. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What does the good news offer us? Yeah. Yeah. Life. Yeah. Yeah. Peace. Hope, a promise of restoration. The good news offers us family outside of blood. The good news offers an ability to truly build bridges, an ability to break barriers, to break chains, to tear down walls. The good news is mighty. The good news is not weak. The good news is not small. The good news roars like a lion. It brings light to dark places. 
the good news is not good people making good people. And we have to get that into our heads. The good news is not dependent upon how put together I am. The good news is not clean yourself up and then come to me. Time and again, we see Christ meet people. We see him offer the bread of life, offer living water, invite them into deeper spaces, and then invite them, hey, when you experience me, you no longer need. The thing with sin is it's just our habit of trying to feel safe, secure, stand on other things, cope with hard things. Sin's usually well-intentioned, you know? It's just the catch is we're looking to the created things rather than the creator. And the good news says, I'm the one that you can stand on. I'm the one for you to fill your vision with. I'm the one who can truly meet your needs. I'm the one who can satisfy. The good news is for all of those people who are going, is this all there is? With the Samaritan woman, after her encounter with Christ, we see an invitation. She runs back to the people who have shunned her, to the people who know her story all too well, to the people who thought, that was it. She's not even worth our time. This woman is not changing. And she runs back to them and says, go see a man who told me everything I've done. Could he be the Messiah? Because you see, as she's talking to Christ, she starts to realize there's something different about him. But in that conversation, there's probably a part of her going, yeah, but if he knew, if he knew who I am, if he knew what I've done, and see, that's, that's the fear that we step into. That's the thing that tends to hold us back, this idea that we have to clean ourselves up first. And we keep trying to wash off those marks, those things that have been done to us, those things that we have done to others, the, the pride, the arrogance, the control. We keep trying to wash that off ourselves. And Christ goes, guess what? I know it all. I knew it all before I chose to engage with you. I knew it all before I created this opportunity for you and I to sit down together, to have a real conversation. And I want you to come to me. I want you to experience my living water, which keep in mind the importance of water among desert people. And this idea that it, the living water is a throwback to the time of David and this idea of this spring that is the purest, the cleanest, the most refreshing, the spring that represents all the things we described with good news, life, freedom, hope, sustenance, promise. So as we shift 
into the next phase of the morning, we're gonna take a minute and think about some practicals because we can wax poetic about neighbors all morning, but what does this look like translated to action? Action in as low stress mode as possible because also we are heading into the holidays, okay? So, first I want you to think about some community pathways. And these are just examples. These don't have to be your pathways. If you have paper or just think about this, I want you to picture circles of community influence. So the examples here are your actual neighborhood. It could be your literal neighbors. It could be school, if you're in school, if you have people that you're caring for who are in school. It could be extracurricular activities. Um, it could be a workplace. It could be church. Um, it could be a number of different things. Maybe there's a regular um, loop in your routine. It might even be the employees at a store that you frequent and you tend to see the same people all the time. So take a minute and think about your circles of community influence. And as you're thinking about this, I'm gonna share a story about one of these categories. So I have sports on there because I've got three little athletes, God bless them. And in that world, you encounter a lot of alphas and who raises alphas? Alphas raise alphas. So, you tend to, and I'm not saying this is exclusive to the sports world, just sharing our experience, uh, you tend to have some people who are wound a little tight, right? Um, also, you might encounter some politics. And you might encounter some drivers. And we could go on and on. But you get the picture. So one of my kiddos, I, I was like, I'm ready for a change. I'm tired. I am, I am tired of trying to love on these people or just trying to not scream at them. You know, let's be real. Sometimes love is I'm practicing self-control. <laughs> and maybe I can muster you know, some kind of pleasant expression on my face. That might be the win for that moment. And so we were exploring some alternative options. And then that kiddo came to us and essentially said, because remember my kids are raised by a therapist, so they're very self-aware. <laughs> um, and so that kiddo said, I don't feel released from this team. I think I need to stick it out for another year. 
And I went, well, probably words I can't say right now. I went, oh, oh darn. <laughs> hopefully that's not being recorded. And um, keep in mind, I'm like Peter. So I'm, you know, heart first and then think through what you probably should have done. So I, so we started the next cycle of commitment. And let me tell you, um, people started coming out of the woodworks. Um, sharing things, uh, including how they had been privately doing a Bible study or privately going to a church or asking, could we take their kid to youth group? Um, but they, but they, were, they felt like they needed to do it behind the scenes. And um, these kiddos started, see, God often, uh, when I make a judgment about a person, he goes, hey, guess what? They're going to become like your next door neighbor or, <laughs> you know, be in your life on some kind of regular way. And then he'll do something. And often it's through kids that softens me. See, I can teach like look behind, you know, find people's stories. Like I can teach all the right things, but practicing it, you know, it's still, it's so humbling how easy it is to step into a place of judgment. But for me, it's, it's not typically moral judgment because I just expect people to sin. Like just expect it. We're addicted to it, you know. Um, but it tends to be judgment in terms of, I'm a therapist for a living. Ain't nobody got time for this, you know. Um, judgment as far as like, ah, I'm going to hold you like way out here. So that's my encouragement when we're thinking about our circles of community influences. Often, not always, but often the, the next step is whichever circle makes you want to go, I'm not really interested in engaging with that one more. Often, not always, God's like, guess what, kiddo? <laughs> That's where we're headed. All right? So the next thing, and we'll move through these last slides more quickly. Uh, we want to, and this can, this is things to think about, but you can do some of these activities as you come together as table groups. But you want to think through some tangible actions for each community circle. So what would that look like to take a next step? Be mindful of actions that can involve others. If you're raising kids, be mindful of actions that can involve them. They don't all have to, but it's a nice thing to think about. You also want to consider your calendar. We have a tendency to just cram more in until we are like that overstuffed you know, pillow animal that's just seeping out. We don't want to do that. So you'll have to create some margin somewhere if you're going to add an action. And then the last thing that we want, and this is a just an honest heart check. Is there anything besides your calendar holding you back? So the story I shared about the sports team would be there were things besides my calendar holding me back. 
I was still being kind to people through that, but inside I had said, oh, we're moving on. So I'm just gonna keep this super surface because we're not sticking around for very long. And then the last thing, the last thing is practicing a cadence. The cadence is see a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. Now, what does this require? It requires margin. It requires that I'm keeping an eye on my posture so that I'm not, like God is not asking us to crawl across the ground because we are so stretched out and stressed out, but still go around seeing needs, meeting needs. No, no. Like, I need to be drinking of that living water so that I can offer water to others. The other thing with the see a need, meet a need cadence is there are no rules about speed for that. This could be a year for one. And also, don't be afraid to go small. Maybe this is one person, okay? So we are going to have Elham and Molly come up and they are going to share a story about what this has looked like. Okay, I'm just here for the intro. Um, so um, this is um, what we call Nurture Stories. So for those of you who were here for our first round of Nurture, um, the way we did Nurture Stories was sort of um, like a broader concept of having people from our group share um, specific kind of stories um, about how God was nurturing them or using others to nurture them or allowing them to nurture others essentially through various sorts of seasons um, in their lives. Um, and um, we liked that because it's different than like, you know, just sort of like your overall testimony, your God story. Um, while those all are really great stories to hear, um, we wanted to just specifically hone in on certain like events that, um, 
that ultimately other people in the room can really relate to and offer as another point of connection. And it's just have been a really beautiful process of seeing how God is at work in our lives um, and in the room around us. So this year, um, we decided to change it just a tiny bit and um, sort of the way that the Anchor and Apply teachings by Laura, which are amazing. Thank you for this morning. Um, they kind of go along, like I don't want to call it a theme, but it's sort of related to that. So um, loving your neighbors is one that is um, kind of personal to both of us, and it's um, mostly going to be Molly to share her story, but um, we decided that it probably made sense for me to give a little bit of an introduction because we met as neighbors. So um, just uh, last year around September, um, I bought a commune. <laughs> so <laughs> where's Laura? Somewhere. So Laura is over there. Um, we are, we grew up together more or less, and we had this crazy idea that like somehow came to life in which we um, wanted to buy a property with two homes on it, which could, could be like a whole loving your neighbors story in and of itself. Um, and it's been a really amazing experience, um, partly because we have kids like the same age. Our daughters are like the same age, which is terrible and great at the same time. Um, and uh, it's just been amazing. We love it. And so um, we moved in around September of 2018. And um, little did we know, we would land like the best neighbors ever. And that would be the Batemans. And what was so funny about that is that, like, we were all the same age. Um, they also have a daughter who's the same age and a little baby. And so it was just like, it was just like this perfect thing. And um, even the husbands all got along. Like, what? Yeah. Like, they wanted to spend time together, like, and talk without being prompted. Like, what? Okay, so it was amazing. <laughs> so that was like, whoa, you know it's meant to happen when, like, the guys are in, too, and we don't have to, like, in in instigate that. Anyway, so um, <laughs> one of the things that, like, immediately stood out about the Batemans, which would be Molly, Robert, Kinley, and little baby Jace, um, <laughs> that they always, like, it was, like, it was funny. One of our old, like, we had a bunch of retired people on the street, uh, a bunch. There's four houses. Okay, so everybody else was retired and older, and one of the guys, he was like, I don't know, I think she's got, like, a preschooler. They, they do some kinds of parties or something at their house, like, and, and that's not exactly true, but it, it, well, you would think so because there was, like, always people at their house. There was always things going on, and, like, from the very beginning, we were invited to them, and, um, you know, like, Molly always offered uh, to have us over for dinner and like, oh, like, I know you guys just moved in. You've got a lot going on. Like, come, come eat hot dogs. Always hot dogs. Like, so many hot dogs. Um, <laughs> my stomach, like, did not like that very much, but it was fine. <laughs> anyways, um, <laughs> but I liked her, so I was like, oh, this is great. Um, no, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's true because we're gluten-free. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> and so, um, you know, the house that, the, the property that we bought, it has been a pain, like, 
beyond it's just old it's rural it was like we just always joked like move to the country they said you know like it'll be fun they said and it's like <laughs> it's been terrible in so many ways except for like the neighbors and like ex except for the experience of us all being together through it anyways and like robert is like uh, he like he was jack of all trades like he could always offer help and he did like and you know they would the boys would ask him a question and then like the next day he'd come over with like the solution and hang out for like hours and um Anyways, so it, it was just like that aspect of it felt so magical. And then I remember one night in October, like we ha we finally like we finally had them over because, yeah. Anyways, we had them over for dinner, and they were like, "Okay, guys, like um, we're gonna move to Idaho." And we were like, "What? No!" Like it was just it like was earth shattering. We were like so upset because we just thought like. We didn't even know you guys were going to be here when we bought this place, but you're, like, the best part. Like, don't do that. That's terrible. And we were genuinely, like, all so heartbroken over it. And then um, maybe, like, I don't know, a, a month later or something, I don't know, like, they were like, you know what? Like, this is basically everything we've ever wanted. Like, they had just spent the last five years, like, renovating their home so beautifully. And, you know, Robert always wanted land. And he then it was like they had always lived around a bunch of like older people on the <laughs> and then it was like all of a sudden like we all felt like we had built-in best friends and they were like we're we decided we're not gonna move like we love the idea of our kids growing up together and like this is it like we're gonna stay and we were so so happy about that anyways so for those of you who do attend Creekside you know we have the gospel communities and we always like kind of talked amongst ourselves that like the gospel that the the way the Batemans lived was like they, it's as if they like like came up with a gospel community themselves it was just like an open place for everybody no matter where you're at in life or who you are they would just come over all the time and host and it was so impressive and um like oh gosh uh I remember like feeling so stressed out by the house and like work and all the stuff um, and saying no to a lot of the invites if I'm being perfectly honest like there was a lot of times that we were just like oh, just like we got to get through this thing and then we'll be able to go and um, it was just like one of those things like okay maybe later and like don't get me wrong we hung out a lot but uh, it was just often one of those things that, like, I think Laura and I have talked about this. We both felt this way. Like, we were just so, like, stressed out and wrapped up in the house that we kind of often just, like, thought, well, maybe later, you know. And so um, it was in Janu on January 16th, I was at um, preschool with my, or my daughter's preschool, and um, Molly sent me a text, and she was like, hey, um, can you look over the house for us for a few days? I'll be staying with my parents for a while. Robert passed away yesterday. And I was like, what? I don't understand your husband.
really shocking. And even though um, we had really only known him for four months and spent, you know, a handful of times together, we loved him so much and loved um, the idea of us all growing up together and her kids. It was just like this thing that felt, oh my goodness. It was just, there was so many feelings that came with it. And one was, how how could this happen to somebody who is so like <laughs> much better at life than like us? And like they were just so kind and loving and wonderful people. And the thing that blew us away even after that was like the way that they lived with this mentality that like that posture that Laura was talking about, that's like Molly's posture to this day. Like to this day, she asks me, how can I help you <laughs> all the time? And I watch her daughter, what do you need? What do you need? And to this day still hosts the best parties. And my kid always is like, can we go to her house for dinner? And like, she's not... <laughs> She has enough on her plate. Like, you don't, she's not going to feed you, okay? Um, anyway, um, so it was just like um, all, all these people surrounded her, and like I think still do, but it was just like this thing. And I remember like our husbands were like, man, if we died, like nobody would be around. Like, nobody would care. But like Robert, um, he was so full of life and such a friend and so loving and such like just uh, the two of them together just truly like we didn't even know at the time that there they had a relationship with Christ but it was just like shining through them you didn't even have to have the conversation you could just see it and um anyways so I'm, I'm talking too long basically I just I thought of Molly even aside from the Robert situation because of the way that community is just such a big part of her life, the way she loves on her community and obviously has made such an impact on her community because when we had the celebration of life for him, I mean, how many people were there? It was, it was crazy. So it was just, and I mean, people came by and dropped off meals and people like, but like for months and months and months. Anyways, so I um, wanted to give her a chance to share um, her heart because if anybody knows what it means to love your neighbor, I think it's Molly. Um, so I feel like she took the good part of the story, so we might, I might be repeating myself a little bit, but um, my name is Molly. She said I have two kids. I have a four-year-old, Kinley, and a little one-year-old, Jace. Laura and Elham invited me to Creekside for an event back in March, and um, it had been a while since I'd stepped foot in a church, and I was in that, just in a place where I needed a Christ-centered relationships and a Christ-based community in my life, and I just felt that walking in this place, there was like this raw love that um, I think people 
like it's just so essential in your walk with Christ to be surrounded by community. So I'm so glad I decided to come back and here we are now. So I've a little bit about myself. I've always been a people person. I was a teacher. I, I was always on leadership. Um, and I've one constant in my life is like I always remember God um, putting good people in my life. Always like literally any type of relationship you can think of. I feel like I just really had good people in my life and I never understood why I always I would always pray and I would always be grateful. But I would always just say like I I don't deserve good people in my life. I don't like I don't know what I did to, to get this. It's great. And I'm not complaining. It's awesome. But I just there like I just don't understand. So I'm going to tell you a little story about how I was nurtured through neighbors and community and how um, creating relationships are really what life is all about. John tells us in chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He tells us again in John 15, 12, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. So last September, I ran into a real estate agent. Um, I was out walking my daughter on our street. I, rem I, I literally can remember that, like everything. I was at my mailbox. I, I like had an armful of mail. I had my three-year-old. I, I had my baby in the pack. And I remember this real estate agent stopping and saying, hey, are you the neighbor? Um, these two young guys, Nick and Matt, which are my husband's literally, his best friend's names are Nick and Matt. So I was like, this is meant to be already. And then there were these two young guys and their families, and they had little kids. And I was like, uh, what, God? This is literally what I've been praying for, like, on the street of retired, like, literally all over the age of 80. Like, I'm like, I need someone young in this, like, middle of nowhere little street. Like, give me some people. So God moved Laura and Elham in and their husbands and their kids. And like she said, we just all hit it off. It was literally the dream of, like, living in the country and raising kids together and feeding horses and having hot dogs. It was literally everything you can imagine. But little did I know when I first met them what role they would actually play in my in my life. So by the end of the year, we were having play dates, meals, you know, welcoming babies, pregnancies. It was literally life was like so perfect. I I can't even describe it. It was everything I'd ever wanted growing up. So my husband and I would always open our house. Like we said, we'd invite people, people's friends, family, family, friends. Like literally our motto was the more the merrier. We, we had four acres so we could physically like house these people. All, like trailer, bring your trailer, live with us. Like we don't care. We have a garage. Like put your dogs in there. It was like always just the motto is like I really feel like it's always been on my heart. Like love your neighbor as yourself. So never get too comfortable like in your life or anything because God's going to intervene at some point and he shook my world apart when I got that call in January from a hospital saying my husband was dead he quickly passed from a brain aneurysm and he was just gone it took me a few weeks to realize but my future was not going to be how I had planned I sold our property, we moved our kids into a new house, I, I'm parenting alone, I'm living a new life, and I'm pretty much starting over. After realizing what this life was going to need to be, God gave me this, like, I can't even describe it, but just a supernatural peace 
like aside from the deep, deep sadness that also existed, but I had this growing list of overwhelming feelings and I had so many things to do and there was confusion. But when I look back on that time in January and February, what I really remember was feeling love. I know I got through this time because of my family and my neighbors and my friends and the outpouring of the community that I'd surround myself in. That's what got me through those months after his death. I have everything, I had everything you could imagine, like flowers and meals and prayers and care packages and financial donations that are still coming in literally like to this week. Um, I just can't believe all the people and neighbors that have stepped up to walk this walk with my kids and I. So I found it fitting to host a celebration of life on our property since that's what, you know, what our life was, was having people on the property. So I organized this massive party to remember what kind of person my husband was. I wanted to bring people together to love on us, to show love for him, and just to be together. I was in awe when the number of people actually showed up to celebrate his life. People from all ages, from all over the country, and everyone had a story to tell about who Robert was and what legacy he'll leave. We were sitting around listening to one another after the, the bulk of the party was over, and I just remember thinking that this was the end for him. He had lived his life, and this was what's left, what we can talk about. So learning from his life, I could take away one thing that everyone's story had in common, and that was that he made people feel really good when they were with him. He wanted people around him, and people wanted to be around them. He would serve them, he loved to educate them, and most of all, he made people laugh with them. He literally just like brought people together because of who he was and how he made you feel. So being together is really what this life is all about. I can say that I've hosted hundreds of get-togethers. I always have friends to hang out with or talk to, and I have all kinds of relationships in my life, but I want you to know that there's really something special about a relationship built on the foundations of Christ, which is like a whole nother story, but your, your church people are, you know, you need to feed into yourself as much as you're giving out to people. But I think that there's something extra special about being called to love your neighbors as yourself. It's not easy to give up a few moments of your free time. It's not easy to help out or organize a get together or bring people together. We all have really busy lives. But God has made it so clear that this is what he wants us to do. God blessed me with next door neighbors that did just that. They were at my door to hang out. They brought me groceries. They watched my kids. They did things around the yard, collected my mail. And it's not easy to give to other people, but we should be doing more of it. We should be acting selflessly and loving one another. We should be doing more for each other, checking in with one another and not just accepting a, oh, I'm fine kind of response. Something so different about my neighbors that really set them apart was that we were honest with each other, we gave prayer, we listened, and we like seriously lived real life with one another. I know without a doubt that God moved the Watsons and the Masons into those troublesome houses above me so that they could carry me and my family through the darkest time in our life. The precious little, their precious little girls were there for my three-year-old daughter in a grieving way. Their husbands were always on call for me when I had yard work or heavy lifting or I needed something. God placed these people in a physical place for a reason, and they really stepped up to the calling. 
They acted selflessly and they really lived out what it means to be a neighbor. I feel like we could all probably look around at the people in our lives, maybe a coworker, acquaintance, neighbors, someone on a sports team. Who do you need to love a little more? Who can you make a difference for? Because before you know it, unfortunately, your life will be over too. And we'll be standing around talking about you. And I don't know about you, but I want people to know that there is a special bond that God can create between each of you. And the love of God can pour through you, and it might just be exactly what someone needs to get through another day. I think it's pretty clear that God is calling us to live a selfless love. So I'll end today with a verse that, oh, it's like one of those things that like always pops up, like randomly, but I think that it really goes to show, if we're living the life that God's calling us to do by loving one another, I think it, it's just really fitting. So it's Romans 14, 8. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord.